0: be back again today. Um, uh, this time I was able to bring my family, uh, my wife Julie and our three sons, so um, yeah, really glad that they that we can all be here this morning. Um, uh, this morning's uh, scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, uh, 13 through 19. Again, Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 19. Hear the word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven sends the reading of God's word let's pray father God we're so thankful for your word God we're thankful um, how you have preserved it through the the ages and how it speaks to us today we're thankful for the way that it shows us who you are and not only who you are but uh, what you are doing, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And Father, as we read your word and study it, may your Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. May it stir our hearts and um, make us excited both about who you are and what you're doing. God, may your Holy Spirit add uh, your blessing uh, to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name amen when we were in language school in japan a high school girl who is a part who is part japanese uh, from one of our supporting churches in new jersey was supposed to come and spend a week with us now prior to her coming uh, a friend from church etsukosan found out that we were hosting this girl on our first trip to japan and she offered to help us host. When Etsuko asked in Japanese, How old is your friend? I responded, Nanajusai. I should have said Ju Nanasai, 17, but I didn't. I said Nanajusai, 70. 70 years old. So Etsuko san and her friends got together and they started brainstorming on how they could entertain a 70-year-old lady from America. They made a long list of ideas of, of uh, things that they could show her around the city, and then they went back and scratched a number of plans off their original list because they later realized, you know, maybe that's too many stairs for an older lady. So on the day when I brought Lydia, um, over to Etzko's house for a day of fun. You can imagine the surprise on everyone's face when my son Soren and I walked through the doors with Lydia. Etsko san politely greeted Lydia, asked her a few questions, and then asked her how old she was. When she said 17, the room erupted with laughter. Ben, you said nana Jew size 70, not Jew Nana size 17. We thought she was an older lady. Well, this is one of the many mistakes I've made in Japan. One of our teammates one day was contacted by a Japanese man who was a Christian and had been talking to his mom about Jesus, who was not a Christian, but had become interested in Christianity through the testimony of her son. This man asked one of our teammates if she could pick up his elderly mother at the train station and take her to church. Well, of course, our teammate agreed. But on the Sunday, the elderly lady arrived on the train to our city. She was left waiting at the train station and had to eventually return by herself because her ride never showed up. You see, our teammate who is busily serving a mother and helping with the church plant being pulled in many directions, different directions, completely forgot. That's a big mistake, right? Especially in Japan, you don't do things like that. It can be highly offensive. Well, of course, our teammate felt terrible and apologized profusely both to the son and her mother and his mother. And then another appointment was set up, and then that week, the elderly mother took the train into our city again, arrived at the station. But again, her ride never showed up. (laughs) Again, our teammate forgot. That's terrible, right? Well, by this time, you're probably wondering why our churches support Ben and his blundering teammates. Well, here's the point. We are pleased to be working with a great team of competent and very hardworking missionaries. And by God's grace, our team has accomplished a lot, but we are not free from error and we make mistakes. But thankfully, the fate of our mission does not depend on our own merit and competencies. We labor and sacrifice, but if the church depended strictly on our performance, we'd be in trouble. What a waste it would all be when our work would certainly come crashing down when it was affected by our errors and certainly when it was affected by our sins. But we have confidence because we are invested in a mission that is not ultimately dependent on us. We depend that when some meet Jesus Christ for the first time, it will be an encounter like they've never had before. We depend on the providence of God and the Holy Spirit to change lives. And we depend on Christ to build his church when, where, and how he wishes. Missions work in Japan is hard. And though we strive to be faithful and diligent, we are nevertheless utterly dependent on God to do his work in spite of ourselves. And the great thing is, this is a pattern we see in scriptures. God takes common men and in spite of their weaknesses uses them to build his church. Peter is a central a central figure in our passage today. And as you know, Peter was bold. He was in Jesus' inner circle of friends and was used by in mighty ways by God to build his church, including preaching with boldness at Pentecost where some 3000 souls were added to the church in one day. But Peter was also a man who made spectacular mistakes. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times before his crucifixion. Peter initially wanted Christianity without the cross and tried to persuade Jesus from going to Jerusalem. It's recorded in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul had to rebuke Peter because he acted cowardly and being afraid of eating with Gentiles when those of the circumcision party were watching. Peter was rightly revered in the early church. He was a man of God, was bold, had great faith, and was used by the Lord in mighty ways. But nevertheless, if the church had to ultimately depend on Peter, it would have failed. It would have been a disaster. But thanks be to God his work is not dependent on us but is dependent on our savior in fact if we will not participate in his plans he will get his work done another way but if we are willing to participate we will be used in wonderful ways in spite of our many weaknesses now in case you're wondering about the elderly lady left at the train station The third third time, our teammate, who, by the way, is a great teammate and has been used in many wonderful ways by God, uh, she did remember. And eventually, in spite of our team's carelessness, eventually, this lady became a Christian. In my language blunder, well, God used that too. Because the Japanese uh, ladies thought our friend was 70 years old, they planned a nice calm dinner party for her and a byproduct of that was the host of the party I first met that night started coming to church and later was even going through baptism classes when my family returned to America. Thankfully Christ is Lord of the harvest. The success of the kingdom of heaven is not ultimately dependent on us. So what is it dependent upon? Let's take a closer look at our passage today and see three means God uses to make the kingdom of heaven unstoppable. Well, the first means that we see in this passage that God uses to make his kingdom unstoppable is the uniqueness of Christ, both in his person and message. This passage is one of the first times that Jesus really talks about the church per se. And so it is fitting That before he talks about the church, he gets straight to the issue of who he is. For if the church doesn't clearly understand who Jesus is, it will not only never get its missions right, but it won't even be a true church. In today's passage, Jesus starts by asking the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples reply that there are various answers. Some think he's a return of a specific prophet like Jeremiah or Elijah. Some think he's a prophet in general. But notice the people here have not reached a verdict on who he is. They're either not sure or are they, they are divided. But they have not made a clear evaluation and decision on who he is. And so it is today. Many people have never reached a clear verdict in their minds on who Jesus is. After this initial question, Jesus asks his disciples, "But who do you, but who do you say that I am?" There's never been a more important question put to humanity. Who do you say that I am? There's been a quite there's been quite a stir created over Jesus. People flocking to Jesus with their problems. People taking the the roofs off of other people's houses just so their friends could be seen by Jesus. All kinds of people seeking after him. Enormous crowds gathering to hear him speak. When people heard Jesus speak, they marveled. Not just because he was a carpenter's son, an uneducated man, they thought, teaching in a way that far exceeded his education, but also he was teaching with a boldness and authority that they had never heard before and in ways that one in his day would not have dared talk. He was compassionate, loving, bold, a friend of sinners, just, and brilliant. And then there were the miracles. There were miracles of compassion like the healing of the lame and blind that would have surely called to mind the prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. And then there were miracles like the calming of the storm that were so powerful that left the disciples afraid and wondering, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Who do you say that Jesus is? It's important that you have a clear understanding to this ultimate question. Jesus Christ is hands down by far the most important person in the history of mankind and so it makes a lot of sense to really give careful consideration on who this ever important historical figure was and is. No one else has had the kind of impact that he has brought to the world. Not only is Jesus by far the most important historical figure in the history of the world, but he is completely unique amongst even philosophers and religious figures. Remember, no other philosopher or religious figure had the boldness to claim that he is God and he is the answer to your problems. Everyone else points in another direction, away from themselves, but not Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is exactly the type of person you would want to trust with your life. Jesus taught the world how to forgive their enemies and have compassion on the poor and oppressed. And if you're for human rights, which I trust all of us are, we can thank Jesus and his followers because that's historically where human rights come from. The Christian faith is unique. Both the person of Christ is is unique and the message of grace he extends is unique. Because Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross, we have a faith based on grace that is completely unique to any other world religion. 503 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the doors of the Wittenberg church, beginning what would come to be known as the Protestant Reformation. One of the great movements in the history of the world in terms of importance and impact. The Protestant Reformation brought about many great things, but the thing I love most about the Reformation is the clarity it brought to the gospel. Pre-conversion, Martin Luther was preparing to become a priest at the Black Cloister, the Augustinian monastery in Erfurt, Germany. And he would meet with his confessor, Johann von Stoppitz, on a regular basis to confess his sins. Luther, who was on the brink of starting a promising career in law before he abruptly joined the monastery, was very mindful of God's laws and his demands. His times of confession were thorough as Luther would strain to meticulously confess all of his sins. No doubt this was taxing for his confessor. And on one occasion, his confessor said, Martin, just love God. To which Martin returned and replied, love God, I hate him. You see, if you don't understand the grace of God, you cannot love him. You will either try to lower the bar on the standard that God has for holiness to be able to have a relationship with him and thus not love him in practice, which is what many try to do. Or you will keep the bar for the standard of holiness high, which is found in scriptures, but be frustrated and resent God for his demand for complete holiness that you cannot keep. We need an alien righteousness, a righteousness not of our own and that's exactly what luther later came to realize as luther read through the book of romans he discovered that in fact we are not justified by our works but we are justified by grace through faith and when luther came to grips with this truth he he felt that he said i felt that i was altogether born again and entered paradise itself through open gates. And I extolled my sweetest word, that is righteousness of God, with a love as great as a hatred which which I had before hated the word righteousness of God. Justification through faith was good news to Luther, not only changing Luther himself, but millions of souls. Without the clarity of, of the gospel, Christianity becomes just another religion where people have to tirelessly work to try to earn God's favor. But since Jesus tells us to put our trust in him as he went to the cross to pay a debt that we cannot pay, we have a faith that is wonderfully unique. We have a faith based on grace. Justification by grace through faith alone is a beautiful thing. And it is just as powerful today as it was in the 16th century or in the first century. About a year ago, uh, we had a group of eight Japanese university students from our ministry in Japan uh, fly over to visit us. Uh, We started the trip in Kansas City, spent 10 days at a partnering church in Columbia, Missouri, and then concluded our trip in New York City uh, just weeks before COVID hit. In Colombia, we did a Bible study with the college pastor. And on the day we talked about grace, the college pastor asked them, What kind of things do you think can get you into heaven? Some of these Japanese students had never done a Bible study before. Some had studied the Bible with us before. But the Japanese students who had never studied the Bible before filled up the whiteboard with good things like being honest and helping the poor. They thought, might get you into heaven. And when the college pastor drew a big X through these good deeds, their mouth hit the floor. He explained that though these were all good things to do, nothing anyone can do can contribute to their salvation. It's a complete work of grace. Our salvation was paid for alone by the precious blood of Christ on the cross. Grace is shocking and oh, so good. Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. He is unique amongst religious figures, both in terms of person and message. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? If you haven't already, you need to be certain that you've reached a verdict. In verse 16, Peter answers the question with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. God. The first means in this passage that God uses to make his kingdom of heaven unstoppable is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ both in his person and message. The second means we will now look at is God's personal revealing of Christ to individuals. In verse 17, Jesus tells Peter that it wasn't because of his flesh and bone that he understood who Jesus was, but that it was revealed to him by God the Father. It's just like Lydia in chapter 16 where it's recorded, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul and having believed was baptized. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to respond to him in faith we cannot see jesus for who he is by ourselves we need god to reveal it to us jesus tells nicodemus in john's gospel unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god japan is a hard place for the gospel some have referred to it as a missionary graveyard because so many had been discouraged and gone home. Even entire mission agencies had pulled out of Japan. When we officially became MTW missionaries, we were in Atlanta at the agency headquarters. And that evening, we also went to visit my old host family from Korea that had recently moved to Atlanta. When I told my Korean host dad who had considerable business experience in Japan and knew the culture well, that we were becoming missionaries there, he said to me, Ben, the Japanese will not become Christians. We've gone all in as long-term missionaries. And in a sense, I feel completely helpless to have any spiritual breakthroughs. But that's how I should feel, right? I should feel that I am powerless in my flesh. But God can do whatever he wants. And what he wants is to build his church. And in Japan, he's doing just that. When the seminary in our city, Christ Bible Institute first started years ago, it was held on the second floor of our church, Nishin Christ Church. And during that time, there was a Korean seminary professor who came over to Japan to teach a short-term course at the seminary. And as this professor was nearing the day to return home, he became convicted that though he was teaching classes at the seminary daily, he hadn't really tried to reach out to any non-Christians in Japan with the gospel. And so one day during his last week in Japan, He decided he would walk up on campus at the university a block away so that he could try to share the gospel with students. And on that day, he met a guy named Kaji and shared the gospel with him. And Kaji believed. Right then and there, (laughs) it's simply incredible. Kaji is now a dear friend and coworker And I asked him one time about this experience, and he said, this guy just shared with me, and when I looked into his eyes, I could tell he was telling me the truth. Amazing, the spirit does what he wants. Recently, I was in a Zoom prayer meeting with a Japanese lady who several years ago went to an African-American gospel concert of a short-term team from Alabama hosted by long-term missionaries in Japan. And though this lady had zero experience with any church, this Japanese lady heard the gospel, and God opened her heart to believe it that very night. Again, this isn't normal in Japan. Japan is a hard place, and usually it takes years of Bible study and years of faithful Christian witness for one to become a Christian. My wife has a a friend in Japan who was baptized a couple years ago and it was more of like a 15 year process for her from the first time she heard the gospel to when she was finally baptized. As I heard recently of a Japanese man who, it took 28 years of hearing the gospel before he finally believed it. It's often a slow process for a Japanese person to become a Christian. But God can do whatever he wants, and he can strike as quick and as hard as lightning. Not only does the spirit open our spiritual eyes so we can see him for who he is, but it's also true that God has pursued anyone who follows him. Remember, each of these disciples, Jesus pursued them first. He met them while they were about their ordinary lives and tasks. One of my friends at our church in Japan is a Japanese doctor. He did his residency in Philadelphia and before he moved his family over to the States, he went um, a few weeks ahead to find a place to live. But before he went, he got connected to a Korean American pastor in the area who had a heart for the Japanese people and said that any Japanese moving to the area could stay with his family while they looked for a place to stay. And so my friend Kojima sensei took this Korean pastor up on the offer and stayed at his house upon moving to America. And as it happened, on the first night during the short uh, time that he stayed with this Korean American family, they had another guest. And my friend found this guy to be a, a most interesting person. You see the other guest had been involved many years in the Yakuza, or the Japanese mafia, but had become a Christian and is now Japan's uh, probably best known evangelist. <laughs> the one night our friend spent with this Japanese Christian and hearing his testimony of how Christ had pulled him out of the Japanese mob to follow him made quite an impression on Kojima sensei. And when his family moved to, from Japan to Philly, they found themselves going to the Korean American church where they all became Christians. Again, Japan is a a hard place. There are cultural and historical factors that make it particularly difficult work. Really, it's impossible work, that is with man, but not with God. And Christ is building His church even in Japan and with the backdrop of Japan being such a tough place, it makes conversion and church planning all the more beautiful because you know it must be the very work of God. Jesus Christ is wonderfully unique in both his person and message. God is in charge of individual salvation as circumstances and schedules are divinely arranged, and God opens people's hearts so they can see And as we're about to see, Christ is the builder and keeper of his church. These things make for an unstoppable kingdom of heaven. Here we come to verses 18 and 19. And it's fitting that we take a moment to carefully look at the text and consider what is being said and what is not being said. Historically, verses 18 through 19 have been used by many in the Roman Catholic Church as a key passage to prove that they are the only true church and all authority has been given to them directly from Jesus Christ to Peter, the first pope, they claim, and that all lawful successors are the popes of the Roman Catholic Church. Does this passage really prove this? No, it does not. And in a moment, we'll see that if you use the good Reformation principle of using Scripture to interpret Scripture, we'll see that this Catholic teaching errs. Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The name Peter comes from the Greek masculine noun, Petros, which is a derivative of Petra, a feminine noun meaning rock or rocky ledge, also used in the same verse. And so there is a connection between these two nouns in this verse. Some have thought that the rock Jesus is building on is Peter's confession and not Peter himself. And where there is some truth to that, we can be more precise. As one scholar points out, the word this makes reference to anything else that is immediately preceding uh, Petros, very unnatural. So in other words, Jesus is still referring to Peter as a rock. But it is not Peter as simply Peter, but Peter who has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, who is the church's foundation. The church is built on the man Peter who has received revelation from God, not due to his flesh and bone, strength or character, but because of God's revelation. Peter was a leader and was used as an instrument in powerful ways in the beginning of the book of Acts to advance the church. But it's very important that we understand that though Peter was a leader in the church, he was not the leader. We can see plainly in scripture that the early church, though they held him in high regard, did not see him as a Pope, nor did Jesus. I'll give us some places in the New Testament where we can see that. First, in the book of Acts, Peter and John were sent out by the apostles to Samaria in Acts 8:14. Second, following his meeting with Cornelius, Peter had to give an accounting of what had happened back to the church. Peter was accountable to the church. Third, it was James, not Peter, who presided over the Jerusalem council. If Peter was seen by the early church as a pope, we would have expected that Peter would have presided over this meeting. And fourthly, the Apostle Paul rebukes Peter sharply in the second chapter of Galatians about not eating with Gentiles. Paul speaks to Peter as a peer, not as his Pope. And finally, it is particularly noteworthy that though Jesus is speaking to Peter, who made the the first confession, the promise Jesus makes to Peter about binding and loosing in 1619 is again promised to the 12 just two chapters later in 1818. This is even in the context of Jesus asking his disciples who is I'm sorry this is even in the context of, dis, of the disciples asking Jesus who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That would have been a great time for Jesus to reaffirm that the Pope is the leader of the church and carries Pope-like authority, if Jesus had meant that in our passage today. But Jesus didn't mean that, and he gives the same authority he gave to Peter, also to the Twelve. As they preached the gospel and administered church discipline, the kingdom would be bound and loosed, open to some and shut to others. Peter was highly respected a highly respected leader of the church but he was just that he was a leader not the leader let's consider ephesians 2:20 20 through 22 to, to bring further clarity to our thinking it says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in Him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice that Paul says in a very real way, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, and he adds prophets. But notice that he says apostles plural, not just Peter. It is clear in Ephesians and in our main passage today in Matthew, who the the leader of the church is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the chief cornerstone, by far the most important piece of the building. Paul says in Ephesians 2.21 that the whole structure or church is being joined together into a holy temple by the Lord himself. Back to Matthew, Jesus says, I will build my church. He is the builder and the owner of the church Jesus says, I will build it and it's my church. I'm thankful for a couple of truths we see here. One is that there is clearly a plurality of leaders in the early church. And two, that Jesus Christ is our ultimate leader, the builder and keeper of the church. We fight against real forces of darkness and evil The Bible is very clear about this, and here Jesus speaks about the powers of hell as having a stronghold with its gates. It's not that the church will not face very real and serious obstacles, it will. North Korea, as most of you know, is a frightful place to be, with gross human rights crimes occurring on a daily basis by a paranoid government who is against anyone who seems to pose a threat to the government. And it is especially dangerous if you are a Christian. But not that long ago, Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, was considered to be the Jerusalem of the Far East. But the church was ravaged with the takeover of Kim Il-sung and the communists. And yet, though heavily persecuted, a remnant of about 100,000 Christians remains in North Korea. About a third are in labor camps, but the North Korean Christians remain steadfast in their faith and even sharing it with others. In a 2014 Christianity Today article, one pastor working with North Koreans says this, There has always been an underground presence in North Korea, They continue to evangelize and disciples in ways that are distinctive and unique, he says. Even in the concentration camps, which are often thought to be places of hopelessness, Christians have, for more than a generation, been engaging in discipleship and evangelism. They regard it as a part of their mission field. We always want to emphasize that North Korean Christians are not in retreat but have continued for more than 60 years to advance the gospel with great success. It is the indigenous witness of North Koreans within North Korea that is really proving to see change. And later in the article, he says this. In my early meetings with the underground ch- Christian brother, I asked him how we could be praying. And he was so surprised by the question. You pray for us, we pray for you. So I explained that we have money and freedom to do do anything. And he said, that's the problem. In South Korea and the West, you place so much faith in these things that you don't even know what it's like to have nothing. We only have Christ and we have found him to be sufficient. The Lord cannot and will not be beaten. He will build his church. Even in a place like North Korea that is said to be the toughest place in the world to be a Christian, Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world, Jesus said. When the communists swept through China in 1949, Christians feared what would happen to the growing yet fragile church. Missionaries were forced to flee for their lives and the safety of the churches that they worked with. They were grieved not only for the loss of their life work that they had already sacrificed so much for, but they were also very concerned for the people that they had loved so dearly. One missionary family I know personally had to to split up to flee the country One parent with a couple of kids took a boat down the Yangtze River. The other parent had to take a train with the other children, and they would meet at a port where they would sail to Japan, the first country that they could get to to save their lives. When they first realized that that their lives were at stake and they were going to have to flee, they weren't even sure how they were going to pay for the transportation because the little money that they had was being rapidly devalued due to high inflation. But just a couple days before they were about to leave, a letter arrived in the mail from a lady in America, who six weeks earlier, before any of this had gone down and was completely unaware of the political events that were happening in China, felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to put $50 in the mail to these missionaries. Now, With this $50, they had enough money to pay for a boat to Japan. This was the story of the Young family, pioneer Presbyterian missionaries to our city of Nagoya, Japan. At first, they were just fleeing for their lives, but then they decided to stay in Japan. And so John Young and his family decided to live in Nagoya, Japan. And in the years that followed, They started holding Bible studies on the tiger skin rug in the home of their first convert, and in the years that followed, planted a church. Their father, John Young, helped to start our denomination, and his son, Bruce Young, was our team's first team leader. This was the beginning of our team in Nagoya, Japan. The fleeing of communists in China gave birth to the work in Nagoya, Japan. All the while, Christians were fearful that the church in China would collapse under the heavy persecution of the communists. And so great efforts were used to lift up the nation of China with prayer. And as you might know, God worked through those prayers to actually have the church boom, even in the spite of the absence of missionaries during this time. It's a sure deal Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a sure investment in your prayers, times, talents, money, and even lives, whether that's here in America or to the uttermost parts of the earth. Some individual projects will not go as we had hoped, but Christ will build his church and will not fail. We've read the the last chapter In the story of Revelation, and we know some from every tribe and tongue will worship the Lamb. We serve a beautiful Savior. He is unique in his person and message. He is in charge of our individual salvation as he opens up our hearts to the gospel, and he is the builder and keeper of his church. Consequently, his kingdom is unstoppable. Not only should we be in awe at how amazing our Savior is, in how he draws people to himself and uses them as living stones to build his church. But since Christ is the builder and keeper of his church, let us not be hindered or discouraged by being a part of this great endeavor that we're called to, laboring with him as he builds his church. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful uh, for your word. We are thankful for the way that you clearly uh tell us that you are in control of your church and you're going to do incredible and mighty things you've already done incredible and mighty things um but you're going to continue to do even more so god we are in awe of you uh it's so good to worship you it's so good to be known by you and to know you we're thankful for your word Um, help us to be faithful uh, to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.